I am Miranda Parrish. I work at Welch College. I um, was born into a ministry family, although at the time when I was born, my dad was not a preacher, but we were at church every time the doors opened. I mean, he taught Sunday school, he was a deacon. We ministered, we were part of a ministry family. So you don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. But when I was 10 years old, my dad answered the call to preach. And within about three years, he began pastoring the church in which I had been born and grown up in. So it was a little bit different experience in working and dealing with the youth group because all of a sudden I was the preacher's kid and not just one of the youth group kids. So that did seem a little bit different. Went on to Bible college, met my husband. We went into um, ministry. He was a full-time youth pastor at two different churches and then went into the pastorate. This is my youngest daughter. We had two girls and um, they were both born into full-time preacher's kid families and were very much a part of our ministry and still are even though both of them have married preachers and are in different churches. So when um, Dr. Pinson had mentioned to me about us talking about helping and ideas for healthy ministry families, I went to the girls and I said, okay, brainstorm with me because you've grown up in it. And so we're going to look at several different aspects of ministry from dealing with it as children in ministry being a ministry wife, being parents in ministry, and even ministry leaders. And ministry, like I said, is more than being full-time. It's not just pastoring, because there are many elements of ministry. But this is Ellen Stocks. Like I said, she's my youngest daughter. She is the youth pastor's wife at First Albany, Georgia. And um, we'll be sharing, and we're kind of co-sharing as we go along. So I've recruited some help. First, we wanted to talk about helps for our children, ministry kids, and talk about having them to be a part of our ministry. So as a preacher's kid growing up, one thing that my parents did very, very well was letting us know that we were as much a part of their ministry as they were. That it, it might be dad's job, but it was our family's ministry. It was our family's calling. And if God was going to call my dad somewhere, he was also going to call me and my sister, which meant we had a role, not just in the church, but also in the community, in our schools. So if God was going to move our family, he was moving everyone in our family. And the way that they really solidified this as a family unit was we did family meetings. And usually it would be prayer time, and it didn't just cover the big moves, but when there were things going on, whether it was um, a church that was getting a new building, and we were a part of that and praying for that as a family, or it was sometimes the moves. But because that was a, a common theme, so when we did get to those times where God was beginning to open doors for my dad that was going to move our family out of state, not just when we were small, but even especially as teenagers, when moving gets tricky, that those family meetings, when it was getting discussed, 
that God was going to call all of us. So if he was calling my dad, he was going to call me. He was going to call my sister. So when we were praying about it as a family, individually, then we, we believed that God wasn't going to just tell my dad one thing and then tell me something else, tell my sister something else. So we would all have that same peace about it so that when we did move, and sometimes when we moved and things were difficult and not, not so easy, school was rough, or, or I was the only kid in the youth group, me and my sister, that there was still that, that common peace that we had knowing God had called all of us. So I, I knew we were doing what God wanted us to do. It wasn't just dad's job. It was our family's ministry together. Allowing young people to assist as much as possible is also a big thing, whether it's in the church walls or outside. One of the first things my dad did um, as he was studying and becoming a minister was they had him do children's church. And I can remember my sister and I often, even though we were aging out of children's church, we would often go and help. We might be the puppets that would do something and read, or we would act out a part of the Bible story that he was sharing. We would fix the Kool-Aid and the cookies or prepare the craft or whatever was being done. So we were able to help as we were older. But there are things that even outside the church walls, they can be involved in. Every month we had a nursing home ministry and I can remember those Sunday afternoons going as soon as we would get through eating, we all loaded up and went to the nursing home together and we would go around and speak to all the people. They loved it. Um, Ellen's daughter is back here, Lucy. She has special needs, but even during the COVID time when you couldn't meet and go to church, Ellen and them would make signs and let Lucy stand out with them or be leaning out the window of the car and they would go by shut-ins homes to share with them so that they could see, to let them be involved as well. Everyone can have a part in ministry and letting them be a part, even running errands. Um, I can remember going with dad, them going with their dad to pick up things for Bible school or we needed something for church. And so we would go and you know, go to the store and help pick it up. Letting them see that there is a lot that they can do. We would go and clean if they were having a cleaning day or cut the grass. All those things can be a big part of letting them be a part of the ministry. Letting them see that they have a job in serving God too. There's um, a book that my oldest daughter had mentioned to me. She actually mentioned all three of these books as we began preparing. And one of them is called The Pastor's Family. It's written by a pastor and his wife, Brian and Kara Croft. And the whole last section of this deals with the pastor's family. And when I was skimming through them, they talk about this very thing. I thought it was so interesting because like, these were things we had brainstormed and talked about, but they share how important, both from the mom and dad's side and even had kids share, of being a part of the ministry. We do have a word of caution. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. This is um, one of the verses that was shared last night in the preaching service. But it... it gives an interesting view when you're thinking about 
sharing things with your kids related to church. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We know that is not always easy to do. When in ministry, you have those people that can be hard to get along with. And even those that are very close and are friends can sometimes say and do things that just seem off the wall. Once my dad had become pastor, remember I'm seeing it now from another side. I had grown up in this church. I knew all of these people. Well, one of the things we would often do was stand with him at the door to shake hands with people as we go out. Sometimes it was all six of us lined up. Sometimes it was just a few of us. But I can remember one particular Sunday. It was the first time I really saw a negative side of ministry. And I guess it was because I was 13 at the time that it really stood out to me. But a man who was a good friend of our family, had done things with our family, but he came by, good worker in the church, shook our hands as he's going out. And I happened to be standing by my dad, but I heard him say, well, preacher, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not coming back anymore. And I remember my dad's looking at me like, what? You know, what, what's going on? And he stepped outside with him a minute to try to talk to him, but I heard him say, well, I invited people to come and were with me at church today, and you didn't call on me to pray. That got all over me. I thought, how dare you? You know, what is, again, 13-year-old reaction here. I didn't say anything at the time. My dad talked with the fellow. I mean, they worked it all out. He did come back to church. But I remember, of course, I knew from my dad's expression that he was flustered as well. It got all over him. But I remember on the way home, I asked him, how could he do that? I, mean, I was just mad. How dare he be that way? And my dad, in love and trying to highly esteem and show respect for another person, made the statement that um, we couldn't think badly of him. We needed to pray for him and help support him, that he just needed to feel important. He needed to feel needed. He wanted to be involved. He, he covered it over. I don't remember all the words he said, but I do remember that for a while when I would look at that fella, that's all I could think of. But my dad continued to love him and, you know, didn't treat him any differently than it had before, but it made me realize that you can still disagree or feel badly towards someone and respect and honor them. So we wanted to be very careful when our girls were small because you're going to have difficult people in the church. Even ministry partnerships can be difficult at times, but we did not want them to come away feeling negative about those things. Now, it's not that we wanted to hide it from them, but one of the biggest blessings I remember when I think about us having them in ministry was years later, we were talking about a particular church and we might mention a conflict or a problem and they as adults would look at us, I had no idea. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, because we didn't. Yes, there are problems and they need to know people are people. The devil is real. He's going to get involved in everybody. But be very careful 
about sharing all the negative, but to show that respect for others and let them see that. The other word of caution, be careful not to exploit your children. They are a vital tool in ministry. Um, if you were a preacher's kid, one of the things, or are a preacher's kid, one of the things that kind of comes with the job territory is you get used as sermon illustrations. But one thing, uh, my dad, a sermon illustration that he told often and still does, is that um, there was a time that he was driving and my cousin and I were in the car and my cousin said, well, or I said, where does your dad work? And my cousin said, oh, well, my dad's a cop. Where does your dad work? I said, oh, my dad doesn't work. He's a preacher. <laughs> and he tells the story often and everyone chuckles. But one thing that people don't know about the story is that he always lets me know when he's telling it. Now, maybe not now that I'm you know, older and moved out, but when I was younger, it was never a story that was meant to embarrass me, that I was in on the joke. So when he told this story, I was laughing too. I felt like I was special, I was important. And one, the, the important part of that is that it let me know as a kid that if my dad's gonna use me as a sermon illustration, that I get to know about it, which means my conversations with my dad are safe. So when I do mess up, I don't have to be worried that when I get to church on Sunday, that's gonna be in the sermon of let me tell you what my child did wrong and you can learn from it. Or if I did something embarrassing, because kids do, adults, we do embarrassing things. But I, I didn't have to worry about my shortcomings being used to benefit the church in that way. And that, that was another, another way of involving us in that ministry was if we were gonna be used as an example we were asked our permission, even as a small child, so that we, we felt like we had a part of that, that we weren't being taken advantage of or being made fun of. So that, I would encourage you as parents, even in your conversations, those of us that you know maybe aren't speaking, but a lot of times kids are, are present when we're having those adult conversations after church, and they'll hear us telling stories to fellow church members, and it can easily come across that we're making fun of our children or using their shortcomings for our, our betterment. And so it, it, it's very important to be careful of, of using them and making sure that that conversation is safe and respected. Well, as a preacher's wife, I discovered things differently than I did growing up in a ministry home. Um, I was used to mom and dad not telling us everything. I mean, we never tell our kids everything. But it was different when I knew something was bothering my husband and he wouldn't tell me. Um, it's okay not to know everything. And finally one day, um, I asked him, you know, why won't you, there's something bothering you, why would you tell me? And he made two comments that have really stuck with me. It's one is, he said, well, when I know something or I have spoken with someone that is struggling with a problem at church and it is heavy, I don't always want to share that with you because you will see that person differently. It's hard enough for me to cope with that. That's not a struggle I want you to have. I want you to be able to reach out and love. You may know there's a problem, but you don't have to know what it is. And I said, well, that's true. I can pray for them without that. Now, yeah, there's always that little part of me that's curious what's going on. But I came to grips of realizing sometimes I don't want to know all the details. 
and that God can use me in spite of that. The second thing he mentioned is that sometimes when I come home, I don't want to rehash it. I need time to process and step away and not think about it. And I realized, okay, that is the way I can help him. I can talk about something else or give him space. But to give him time as the shepherd to grieve for his sheep. Um, I can pray for him and support him through that, but I don't have to know all the details. By doing that, that's help provides this little fortress that Ellen's gonna tell a little more about is providing this safe haven that when they come home, it is a place where I can put those burdens aside for a moment. I think one of the greatest compliments that um, Kevin has ever given me has been that he looks forward to coming home, that he enjoys being at home, sometimes a little too much. I think he'd stay home all the time if he could. But it is so important, especially as a ministry wife, that our home is a place that feels safe, whether that means we don't talk about work in our house or at a certain time, or that um, we are prioritizing our time as a family. For us, one thing that we really want to prioritize, laughter is a big part of our home. And you know, laughter is an incredible medicine. And so finding things that we know for our family that we enjoy doing together um, is important. It's so important because ministry is hard. Church is hard. And especially if you're married to someone that's in full-time ministry, often there are many days that they come home completely overwhelmed. And it doesn't have to be necessarily that they were berated that day. Sometimes it's the little things. You know, people in church a lot of times don't know that they're complaining, but they're complaining. They don't know they're nitpicking, but they're nitpicking. You know, oh, oh preacher, I, I really wish you'd do more of this, or I really wish we'd sing more of these songs. And they don't mean necessarily harm by it. But when all you're hearing is, I wish you did more of this or less of this, or can you do this? That can get heavy and overwhelming that you're constantly being picked apart in that way. And so at home, one thing, I know this might be a surprise to those who don't know me, but for those who do know me are not shocked at all. I'm a talker and I don't like to leave things alone, especially if I know there's something that needs to be fixed. I wanna, I wanna take care of it right then. But one thing I have learned for my particular home, for my marriage, is especially on Sundays and on Wednesdays, that that is not the day for me to give the to-do lists. Those aren't the days for me to bring up maybe my own issues or concerns. Those aren't even the days that I talk about all the other stuff that we have going on in the week. Because for Sundays and Wednesdays, making our home that safe haven, making it a, a calm place, a peaceful place, is making sure even in our conversation. Now that might mean first thing Thursday morning, I bring up that to-do list. But on that Sunday and Wednesday, that's prioritizing that because I wanna enjoy coming home. I want my child to enjoy coming home, but I want my spouse to know that regardless of what they face at church or out in the community, that they can come home and they can feel loved and safe and, and rejuvenate. Another thing I sometimes hear, and I've heard it in both extremes, is a preacher's wife or a deacon's wife or um, anyone involved in 
a type of ministry, they'll say, well, that's my husband's job. That's not mine. And that's true. It is not our job, but it is our ministry to have a part. Um, in another book that Emily, um, our oldest daughter, had shared with me, it's called The Family Life of a Christian Leader by Ajith Fernando, um, who recently was able to come and speak at the Bible College. But he talks about, and being a part of ministry, of allowing the Spirit to control us. In um, 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. But that first part, the love of Christ controls us, that controlling, that push, that pressing into action, that's what pushes us in ministry. It's love, the love of Christ. It's not a job. It's not that we're being paid. It's love. There's also um, another book. <laughs> this one is by Gloria Furman called The Pastor's Wife. So the whole book is dealing with the pastor's wife. And um, she makes the statement that not only do we have to see about his love and that control, but seeing the ministry as our main priority. Again, going back to love, the main priority is love God first and then go forward and use and do what he was wanting us to do. Um, Colossians chapter 3 Verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Our ministry, even though it's two people, our key ministry is to serve Christ, to love him and do what he is leading. And if we can see our work that we're doing among people as a, an outpouring of our love for Christ, it changes everything that we're doing and our view of what we're doing. Words of caution. Um, Ellen's mentioned this a little bit. Uh, timing is important. <laughs> Do try to to avoid sharing about conflicts on Sundays. Um, and it never fails. If the church member is going to be mad or aggravated, they're going to try to catch the preacher on his way to mm -hmm. the pulpit right before, you know, he's trying to get his mind focused and ready to preach and somebody's going to stop him. I discovered if anything was ever going to happen at home from drawing on the walls with permanent magic markers to um, kids fussing in the car, you know, and you're wanting to tell them, if I have to pull over, I'm gonna wear you out. We're trying to go to church to praise Jesus. 
you know, it's that kind of day, that's not something to walk in and tell your husband before they're about to teach the Sunday school lesson, or can you believe what your child did, or you go get them, and no, there's a time and place. Sometimes, unintentionally or intentionally, we are gonna be hurt by others in the church, and I think those hurts are even worse because you, they are from fellow Christians. And again, it's not that we're hiding or don't want to share, but I tried to wait. If something like that would happen during the day, I mean, there, I can remember days when I just wanted to leave Sunday school and go home and just cry. But thankfully, they weren't often. But I would not tell him until after church Sunday night. We'd be talking about the day or whatever, and I would then explain. Because a lot of times I found throughout the day the Lord might speak to that other person, and it all get worked out before the end of the day anyway. But um, I wanted him to be able to focus on what God was wanting him to do. So I tried very hard not to share conflicts on Sunday. Again, sometimes there are emergencies. We have to, I'm not saying, you know, keep things from your partner, but try to protect them on that day. I will say to add to that, one of the things that um, we personally do in my household is we have a phrase that it's an after church topic and that that lets the other person, because there's sometimes, um, as in many ministry families, both the husband and the wife are actively serving. So in, in my house, Sunday mornings, Kevin is usually teaching Sunday school. Sometimes he was filling in in the pulpit. He might be running sound or he might be playing in the praise band. Usually I'm leading some type of music or might be running to teach. So we're, we're both busy at the same time. So by one of us telling the other, this is an after church topic, it lets that person know whatever it is, is not an emergency. It's also not something that's eating away at them. Because there's, at least if you're like me, if I know that something's wrong, my first thought's probably gonna be, you're mad at me. I've done something <laughs> wrong. So then I'm gonna be obsessing about it all of church, thinking, you know, what have I done wrong? Or then I'm thinking, oh, someone else is mad at me, and they've told you to tell me, and now that's what I'm gonna be thinking of. So using that phrase lets me know it's not a big deal. Whatever it is can wait till after church. It's usually code for Ellen, you don't have to panic. It's gonna be fine. But it also lets him know too that, hey, whatever this is can, can wait. So I encourage you to find a phrase, something, a key word that you and your spouse can share that can let each other know, hey, I have something I need to talk to you. So you might notice I don't, I'm not acting the same. I might seem more anxious or frustrated, but whatever it is, is not directed towards you, or at least it can wait. So it, it builds that communication. Part of that, the last word of caution, taking care of yourself. There's a really big phrase right now in like women's Christian movement, and I'm sure that if you're on social media at all, you've seen it, which is this phrase that you can't pour from an empty cup, but what they're, liking to, they're, what they're wanting to do now is to try to say, well, really you can because when you're empty, that's when God can use you the most and he can fill you and, and supply you your daily grace and, and supply what you need, which is true. I'm not saying that it's not. The danger of that phrase especially directed towards women. And what I've noticed is that the, the most common age group it's directed towards is young ministry wives and moms. 
that have younger kids that are in the trenches of parenting, in the trenches of adulthood even, trying to figure out who am I while I'm also trying to figure out who, what kind of wife do I want to be, what kind of mom do I want to be, and I'm struggling. And then here is this, this Christian movement telling me, well, when you're feeling run down, that's how God wants you to feel because that's how he's going to use you more. And the danger of that is it starts to teach women, one, don't talk about what you're going through, don't reach out to other women, which is a lie from Satan because the scripture is full of telling us that we are made for community, especially as women, that the older women are supposed to come alongside the younger women, supporting them in marriage, in parenting, in careers, but also that idea of you're supposed to feel run down, you're supposed to feel empty. There are times that we do. I'm not saying that if you're feeling that way, it's necessarily a spiritual issue. Sometimes life is just hard. Parenting is so hard and can feel so lonely. Being a wife, especially in ministry, can often feel lonely because you don't have a lot of times other women that you can really share what you're going through because you, you can't really talk to a lot of people in your church about the ways that maybe your husband made you mad that day because he's <laughs> ministering to these people. They need to see him in a different light. So as ministry wives, we're carrying all these burdens and we don't often know where to go with them. So what I would encourage you to do is, yes, allow the Lord to fill your cup. Number one, making sure your spiritual walk is a personal one. That getting fed at church on Sundays is just not going to cut it for us either. Doing our devotions with our children is not enough for us personally, or preparing lessons. A lot of times we spend so much time preparing these stories that we're teaching in our children's church or at church that it feels like we're in the Word, but it's not for our personal nourishment. We're, we're reading it to teach it, which the Lord can use, but it's important for us to have our time with Jesus one-on-one because our spiritual health is so important. Also, your physical health, if, if you have ever been a mom of small children, often you'll realize it's Wednesday and you don't know when you last took a bath or when's the last time you washed your hair or when you changed your clothes last, you might still be in your pajamas and it's you know five in the afternoon. Um, or you know sometimes we realize we're eating just the crust that was left on our kids' plate because we forgot to fix our lunch. And it's easy for us to tell ourselves that this is good that we're doing. You know, we're taking care of our children, we're taking care of others. And if, if we stop and ask for help, or if we ask for an afternoon by ourselves, that, oh, that's selfish, and selfish is sin, and we don't wanna be sinners, and so we, we can't ask for help. But that, I think, is the number one tool that Satan uses to target young wives and moms, is to tell them, if you ask for help, that's selfish, so that's a sin, don't do it. But really, He's crafty, so he knows if he tricks us and thinks that by keeping quiet, we're doing the right thing, it keeps us feeling lonely, it keeps us feeling isolated, it keeps us from taking care of ourselves, so then we're not as effective because we're, we're running on fumes constantly. So prioritizing yourself at times is not selfish, it's not sinful, whether that's you set aside an afternoon when my daughter was first born, I stayed at home with her for the first two, a year and a half. And during that time, because it was all day long, me and a baby, my afternoon was a Tuesday afternoon. No matter what was in our schedule, no matter what happened, that that time was sacred and set aside just like Sunday mornings were. That Kevin would drop everything and figure it out that Tuesday afternoon was time for me to do whatever I wanted. 
whether it was walk around Target for three hours or take a nap or sit in a bathtub, whatever it was, it was time for me. I didn't have to ask for it. It was built into our schedule. So I encourage you find something like that for you. It might not be weekly in your schedule, but find something that you can prioritize for yourself. Time that you can spend nourishing your own health, whether that is mental or emotional, physical or spiritual, because for you to be used, yes, the Lord needs you removed of yourself for him to fill you, but he does not want you feeling empty and run down and overwhelmed because that is where Satan can often start really attacking our minds, whispering in those lies that um, we shouldn't talk to others, we shouldn't share what's going on, and it just gets us further and further feeling isolated, and then we have to dig ourselves out of that hole. So I would really encourage you, make sure you find something for you. If you don't have something now, make that your goal when you go home, that you're going to find something for yourself to take care of yourself so you can take care of your family and you can take care of your church. Ages for Ajith Fernando mentioned in his book um, this important part of taking care of ourselves, and how even in scripture we see people encouraged to do that. Um, and he mentioned a verse from Nehemiah chapter 2. And I thought, I don't remember Nehemiah doing anything like this. And in Nehemiah 2, it actually starts in verse 7, but Nehemiah is preparing to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple. And he asked the king to give him letters to get supplies. And I went back, looked at the verse. It says that he asked for letters for supplies to build the temple, to build the walls, and to build his own house. Because Nehemiah knew he had to have a place to get away, to be able to serve the others. So taking care of our homes, taking care of ourselves is very important. Now, as parents, and I know all of this kind of goes together, but one of the big things that I always struggled with, and you do, whether you have small children, whether your children are grown, whether you have no children, how much am I supposed to do at church? You know, how little can I get by with doing? Because um, sometimes you're wanting to equip others and let them, you don't want to take away all the church members' jobs, you want to let them serve and be a part of the ministry, but at the same time, people have expectations and they think you were supposed to do certain things. A lot of prayer. And pray for discernment. For Lord, when am I supposed to step in and do? Um, when do I need to step back and say no? And then just being faithful, even at times when you think, I'm not getting anything done. Um, to me, some of the hardest times in determining and trying to be a part of ministry were when the children were tiny as infants. Um, Emily, my, our oldest, was a preemie, so that had a whole set of issues. Ellen had colic for nine months, and so that was a whole nother set of issues. So my goal with her, uh, and for no fault, I mean, she couldn't control it. It wasn't something she did on purpose, 
but she would scream. She was in pain. She didn't feel good. My goal to, in church on Sunday mornings, because I would often play the piano, was to make it through the offertory before they would come get me from the nursery because there were usually only two nursery workers who could calm her down. And if they weren't the ones in the nursery, I was gonna get pulled. And usually by the time I got there, I mean, she had the snubs and was struggling. Um, I can remember on Wednesday nights uh, getting there because I worked. So I would be coming home and then I would get the kids and we'd go to church. Um, again, they'd come get me or either there wasn't a nursery worker, so I would stay with them in the nursery. And I'm thinking, I could do this at home. You know, I stay, the only ones in the nursery are my children. I can take care of them at home. Why am I getting up and coming? Um, but one day a lady stopped me, an older lady, didn't have children. And she commented that she had passed the nursery one day while I was sitting there one evening and that both she, both whichever child I was holding at the time and myself had fallen asleep in the rocking chair. <laughs> and um, she said, that really impressed me that you come on even though you're not able to attend the service and I often don't want to get up and come and I have no excuse. So the Lord was able to use that even though I didn't think my being there was anything important. Later, when they were grown and I had more time to be involved and teach, I remember one Sunday that someone um, came to us and asked if I would help in one, the three and four-year-old children's church. And we were going to do a rotation, so that worked out perfect because you would work for one month and then two other people would come in and they would do it a month. We had like three groups so that no one would have to miss church all the time. You know, so it was a wonderful system. I am a teacher, but I teach high school. I don't teach three and four year olds. I mean, I love kids, I can work with them, but that is not my strength, that is not my gift. But I know they kept begging for people to help and they kept coming back to me. So I remember telling my husband, well, I'm gonna go ahead and do it and maybe that will encourage someone else to step up and say, well, she doesn't need to be doing that. She needs to play the piano or she needs to be in the choir. And she, because I did all that stuff too. Um, it didn't work that way. Mm. <laughs> but the Lord gave me strength in the midst of that. And I discovered that even though that was not my necessary gift, that the Lord was using it in spite of it. Again, Gloria Furman mentions, she said, we tend to think of our strengths as an errantly part of our identity. Strengths are our value add our competitive edge. Gifts connote grace. A gift does not originate with us. It's something we receive from God and steward for his sake. Therefore, our gifts are not so much our identity as our offering. Since God has given us these gifts, he's not obliged to always put us in places where we can use them fully. In fact, God frequently places us in positions where we struggle and feel weak for the very reason that he receives glory 
by showing his strength through our weaknesses. And I saw myself grow. I saw relationships develop with those children and their parents. The Lord used it. it wasn't what I wanted. There are other times that I have even told people I had to learn to say no and not yes to everything. I had a group ask, would you be um, the president or coordinator of our WAC? And I had done that on the district level in another state, but at that particular time, I was working on my master's. And so I told them, I said, I will support you and I will help you everywhere I can. You're doing a wonderful job. I will be there. But I'm doing my master's right now, and I really need to finish this in this next year and a half. And she told me, said, okay, but I'm going to come back in a year and a half if you will do it then. I said, okay. Well, in a year and a half, they came back. <laughs> and I kept my word. At that point, I was free. I felt like I had a little more time to put to it. So we do have to discern, all right, Lord, is this something I can do now? Or is this something that I need to wait or not do at all? And it is okay to say no, but figuring out and sticking with it, even in those rough times, can be difficult at times. Also, as a ministry parent, um, regardless of, of what type of child that you have, their personality, their mannerisms, one thing I would encourage you to do, don't be afraid to ask for accommodations. Whether that is you know there's going to be an event at church that you need to be a part of, so you, you know someone's going to have to help watch your children. For me, a lot of times accommodations are making sure when we have church fellowship, I need someone to help my child fix her plate. Because usually by the time I'm finishing up stuff with praise band and turning off the sound and then greeting all the people, by the time I make it over there, you know, most of the people have gone through the line or she's starving at this point. So there's things that I often, when I first started in ministry as a parent, was afraid to ask for. I felt that it was, you know, me doing too much or me being a burden. But asking for those accommodations. Um, my mom mentioned earlier that my daughter has autism. And a lot of times church for her, though thankfully is accommodated to her, but it, there are some things that had to be asked for, whether that was knowing that she needs um, extra time to transition from one room to another, or that she needs a quiet space to go into. But a lot of that was me letting her Sunday school teacher know or the nursery workers know that, hey, these things are difficult for her. So would you mind providing this resource? Can she have a quiet room to go into? Can you walk her in the halls for a minute when everyone else is, is screaming or whatever the thing is? And part of that is because our children deserve the gospel too. They deserve to be ministered to as well. And sometimes that means us having to ask for those things. But don't, don't be afraid. I know if you're anything like me, we often feel like because they're ministry kids, that it's just kind of the burden that they, they bear, part of being in that life, so we don't feel like asking. Um, but our children, even though they were born into it, also deserve to be ministered to, just like the children that are coming into our churches. So don't be afraid to, to ask for those things. Also, too, if you're in ministry, most people in full-time ministry don't have the luxury of living near biological family. Sometimes we do but um, often that is not the case. So 
as someone who grew up in full-time ministry, never living near grandparents, and then now being married into full-time ministry, also not living near grandparents, I have firsthand learned the importance of having a church family, and not just like we say that as, oh, you know, this is my church family, but there's a few special ones that just, they're like, they couldn't be more kin if they were blood. You know, they're just, they're, they're as close to family as they can get. As a child, I can remember when I would be sick, whether it was a stomach ache or an ear infection, and dad had something going on at church and couldn't miss, and mom was a teacher, so she couldn't call in sick. And so I would sit at the lady in our church, we called her Granny B. I would stay at her house, and we usually watched Touched by an Angel. <laughs> and then she would fix me mac and cheese. But she was as much my grandmother as my own were. And I didn't ever realize how unique that was because it was all I had known until now I'm an adult and realizing how special it was for my parents to know they could call a church member at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday and say, hey, do you mind if Ellen sits with you today? She's got an ear infection and we've got to go to work. And it also was a ministry tool that I'm sure at times they didn't feel was a ministry tool but it prioritized Granny B, made her feel like she was a part of the family. It tickled her to pieces when we stayed at her home because we were as much her grandchildren as she was my grandma. Then as an adult, um, our first full-time ministry job, my daughter ended up getting diagnosed with autism during that time, and my mom, my mom wasn't nearby. She was five hours away. Um, my husband's mother was five hours in the opposite direction, and I didn't have anyone to go to. And I remember getting that call and sitting in that grief and all that conflicting feelings and wanting to sit in my mom's lap and cry and not having her there to do so. But there was a lady in my church who was as close to blood as you could get. And I remember calling her, bawling my eyeballs out, and saying, can I just come sit on your couch and cry? And as I sat on her couch and she rubbed my hair, she just her whole thing she kept saying is, I'm just going to be your mom. I'm just going to be your mom in this moment. As if, I, if something that was happening to my girls, I'd want someone to be her mom, so I'm going to be your mom. And it was probably the greatest gift I think she could have ever given me. The fact that I knew I could call her, that I didn't have to go over there and preach the faith answer and talk about how I knew God was going to take care of it and everything was going to be fine, that I could just be broken and human and real and she was going to comfort me like my own family would. Now... In our new church, we've been there almost two years, and when we were going to try out, a specific prayer that I prayed was, okay, God, you know we're going to need family. And Lucy's getting older, and as she's getting older, there's more accommodations she's going to need, and things can get more difficult. It's also not as easy for us to ask people to watch her as it was when she was, you know, one and nonverbal is one thing. Four and a half and nonverbal looks a lot different. And so asking someone to feel comfortable with that is, a, is sometimes a big ask. It was a specific prayer that I prayed. Okay, God, if this is where you want us to go, I'm, I'm going to need family. Not just church people, but family. And our first weekend there, there were three separate parents that I met that had children that had grown up in this church that were also special needs. And the three different moms that had come to me to say, listen, we've already made these accommodations because we knew you were coming. We knew that she had special needs. And these are the things that we did for our kids, or these are the ways we've ministered for our kids. And even now, two years later, those are the three women that if, if I need someone that can go pick her up from school, or that when something crazy is happening, that those are the women I call because they're family. But those are also the women I call when there's something that's good that has happened. You know, we've, we've made a new IEP goal, or we said another vocal word because 
it's like calling my mom. You know, they, they are rejoicing with me, not just because we are my pastor's wife, so I have to, but we, we love each other like kin. So I would encourage you, find those people in your church. You know, it's important for us to be a Paul to somebody, but it's also important for us to be a Timothy to someone. So find that person for you. That, and I encourage you, find someone local in your, in your current ministry that you can be family with that um, can help carry those burdens. But that is so important because I am now in a new part of ministry, <laughs> of having grown children in ministry. And like she said, I'm not close. Um, thankfully, I'm closer right now to our oldest daughter, but I'm still a good 45 minutes to an hour away. Um, it's about seven hours to get to Ellen. So pray. There is a lot of prayer, of praying for those people who are there to support, of praying for them. It's really hard when you know there's issues that they're dealing with when they're hurting because you know as parents if your kids hurt you do and if someone hurts them you know mama bear wants to come out and <laughs> growl and go on the attack and having been in ministry we know that you can't always do that you know there's a few people that you would love to reprove and reproach in the lord and you know but you have to go back to the prayer you know, all right, Lord, you've got to work this out. I also want to sometimes jump in and tell them, okay, now when we had this and you can do this, and sometimes it's keeping the mouth shut and just listening. Um, even when the girls were teenagers, we kind of ended up like you talked about the code word with the husband of when to wait and say something. Sometimes we would ask when they would come to us, Okay, are you want, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just listen and hug? Or are you really wanting me to try to help you work through this and give advice? And sometimes it's like, no, I just want you to just listen. I just want to vent. I just want to talk. I don't want you to do anything. Okay, so that meant I've got to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to listen. <laughs> Other times as they would talk through, then they would ask for that advice. That is often the hardest thing sometimes, is not, want, not jumping in to do, but waiting, praying, and being ready when they do ask, but knowing it's okay if they don't, and just going back to the pray and encourage, encourage, encourage. There are so many young couples in ministry who quit, mm -hmm. and often it's because of negative experiences or from discouragement, often from family members. I can remember, like I said, I was 10 years old when my dad answered the call to preach. And even though I had grown up in the church and we always went to church, I remember family telling my dad, you don't need to do that. You know, that's not, you know, you've got four children. You can't be a preacher. Um, we need to encourage. And it's hard being in ministry and knowing what's coming, knowing the disappointments. Um, again, Mr. Fernando said in his book, as he was talking about dealing with disappointment and dealing with hurts, and I see this particularly in dealing with children who are being hurt in ministry, is he talks about praying and praying persistently to hang on and to keep praying, to keep on praying, obstinately pray. 
And that's the best thing we can do for anyone in ministry, whether they're our children, our friends, is to pray. So now for the ministry leaders, and that doesn't have to just be the preacher, although often it can be. Usually in ministry, we wear many different hats. So that could be the Sunday school teacher, the nursery worker, the praise team leader. There's different ways that we lead in ministry. So a word of caution, and I know seeing family second seems strange because it goes against what we're taught, but it was just to remind us the Lord has to come first in our personal walk, in our family's walk, that we have to put God first. But then a good reminder, family is number two. It can be easy to put church as number two and family in that number three spot. One thing that my parents did when I was younger, I can remember playing every sport pretty much, but specifically volleyball. And especially as I got older, volleyball was the thing I was real passionate about. And I remember in high school, a game that my dad walked out of. And I saw that he had gotten a call and he left. Now my dad was always the loudest one in the stands. I could hear him cheering. And often he would purposely do that because my coach would yell at me one thing and my dad would be yelling something else. <laughs> and so it was, his voice was gone. And I was bothered by it, but it was one of those things, you know, I, I understood, I get that work is important. Usually if you're leaving a game like that from a phone call, having grown up in ministry, it's usually a death in the church or someone is sick or an emergency. So I, I knew it had to be something important, but I still as a child was sad. I wanted my dad there. And what he did, I don't remember if it was the next day or a few days later, but he came to me and said, hey, we're gonna go do something. And honestly, I don't remember what it was, whether it was we went and got lunch together or went and did something fun. But the important thing was he remembered that he left my game and he wanted me to know that he wanted to make up that time with me, that I was important, his relationship with me was important. And unfortunately, his job had to step in the way at that time. But my relationship is more important. And he prioritized it. I didn't have to ask him. And that was, was so good for my well-being and even how I viewed ministry for him to put me in that way. So I would encourage you as, as parents, as leaders, making sure that you, you do that in that same way. And to piggyback on that, and then we'll have to stop because I know it's time for the next ones to come in. Um, as many times as you can say yes to something with our children, we do, because that makes it easier when there are times we have to say no. Um, even, I can remember when the girls were little, I'll do this one illustration. Um, this wasn't even ministry related as such, except we were on a really tight budget. And so, we would go to the grocery store and they always were with me because you know grandparents weren't anywhere close by to go. So um, they would want particular things. And I'm like, no, it's too expensive or it's not on sale. And I felt like I was always saying no. So what I started doing is as they got bigger to be able to tell the numbers, I would show them the price where it was on their cereal. And I'll say, okay, I want you to look at the road. You find what you want but it's got to have this number, like it had to be a dollar or something. If it's got a two, which you know, now it would be even more than that, but <laughs> then we can't get it. And so it was like a scavenger hunt. They were just so excited. Then they wanted to know, it made getting groceries so much longer because then they wanted to do that for everything. <laughs> um, but try to do both. And then remember, it's so hard 
in ministry, but we have to have a Sabbath. It goes back to taking care of ourselves. Um, Sunday is not our Sabbath. That is our busiest days. Wednesdays are not usually our Sabbath. You've got to find time in ministry to have a break. To, um, as Vance Hamner used to say, you've got to come apart or you will come apart. Um, so, like I said, we had three books that we wanted to share. I wish we had time. I wanted you to be able to give input and share because I know this is not an all-inclusive list of helps. There are so many other things as well that we could share and talk about and that you could share. But um, hang in there. Keep ministering for the Lord. Serve Him. Know that we love you. God loves you. We're praying for you.